Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Holtcast. This is the midweek edition, which would technically be the match preview for Bournemouth. But of course, there's a little bit of a special twist to this one because Aston Villa have officially booked their ticket to the Carabao Cup final facing Manchester City. We're recording this on a Wednesday night, so it's now confirmed. Of course, I am not here alone. I am with my good fan, good fan, good friend. <laughs> you can be my fan too if you want to. Uh, I'm a fan of you. I'm a big fan of you. <laughs> How you doing, buddy? Yeah, I'm doing well, mate. I'm doing well. I'm just delighted to see two last-minute wins under Villa's belt in the space of a week. Uh, we have not been known as good finishers this season. That has not been our brand. But oh boy. What what a win that that felt absolutely magic uh, against Leicester. I couldn't be more happier with that. And I I mean some people probably look at this and think oh we're getting a lot of last minute winners and that that's great to see. And some people will probably be negative and think oh we should have this polished off earlier on. But what a way to win it, uh, especially in a cup match. I mean uh, of course if we roll down the goal scorers here. Uh, Maddie Target chips in with the, the first, and of course that man for Leicester, Kelechi Iheanacho, gets his equalizer because apparently he loves to score against the Villa. Uh, doesn't he have like an insane record against us, Danny? I think it's got to be like I think it's eight in five now. I want to say. Well, he's captured some of that form he had uh, with Man City from a couple seasons ago, for sure. Just against us, apparently, that's it. Um, so it's good to see his contributions, at least, uh, earning his paycheck for Leicester. But, of course, the man, the myth, the legend, Trezeguet, gets the winner from, you know <laughs> what? It's the Egyptian connections. It's the Egyptian airlines. What a ball from Elmo to link that up. And you know what, Danny, I'm we're going to skip right ahead to the winner here and talk about that first, because <laughs> when I look <laughs> at that, I, I'm so excited when I talk about it, because I, it was just one of those things where you're, oh, this might be a nothing, nothing ball. It's a hope and a prayer. It's a similar thing to Pepe Rene's loft up. And of course, um, Tyrone Ming scoring against Watford. It's kind of similar to that. It's a hope and a prayer situation, and he tucks it away quite neatly. How did you feel about that goal? Did it send you into hysteria? And how do you feel about feel, uh, facing Manchester City next? Yeah, I guess we'll come back to that goal uh, in a bit. But like, I think for sure, what what I will say is that it was um, unexpected. Although I did have a feeling. Uh, you can look back at my tweets. I did have a feeling that El Mohamedy was going to come <laughs> on and do something. Um, didn't score a goal, but that was that was it was brilliant. Yeah, the Egyptian link up, as you say, and it was late on. And I, and you mentioned, you know, that a lot of people might say that we're getting sort of like late lucky winners and that kind of thing. But this is actually the the whole Dean Smith counter attack at its best, actually, isn't it? This is now yeah. the snatch and grab. Like this is this is what's supposed to happen. You're supposed to sync up pressure, and you're supposed to be able to take it on and then deliver a sucker punch. Uh, in turn, basically making your opponents have to work harder. Uh, that's, you know, that that is how our counterattacking system is supposed to work. Um, it, it, what what it relies on is obviously, you know, mistakes not happening and that kind of thing. But there you go. Um, great to see, uh, you know, the Villa lads fighting right up until the finish. Hundred percent, and I, I think that's it's fair to uh, mention that this is our first cup final since the uh, 2015 FA Cup final 
<laughs> where we lost uh, 4-0 against Arsenal. So hopefully <laughs> we don't uh, suffer the same fate or worse against Man City. Of course, we'll have that preview uh, up closer to the match, which I believe is on March 1st. So there's some time and some important fixtures um, ahead of them to focus on. But getting deeper into this game, of course, well, let's get into the first goal because it comes in the uh, 12th minute. You had Jack Grealish holding up the ball on the left-hand side of Leicester City's box, uh, weaving around with his magical little feet, of course. I shouldn't say little, but um, he does have feet, of course, and I have to say something. But uh, he's weaving in and out, holding the ball up, and Matty Target loves to bomb for it, as he always does. Collects the ball off of Grealish and slots it neatly across uh, Casper Schmeichel. Almost said Peter there. That would have been a throwback. Um, <laughs> and, of course, that, that makes it 1-0. And you have to look at this goal, Danny, as a crucial moment because Villa typically do not start well in matches. And this goal is 12 minutes in. And I, would, you, would you actually think this is our quickest goal of the season so far? Like, against decent opposition. Because I honestly, I'm struggling to think of any time we've scored early this season. Yeah, we don't tend to snatch goals too early on. But I mean, I think this was, it wasn't that early. Was it thir- 13th minute? I mean, I, th- I think what, no, it was 11th minute, right? So, I mean, I think the thing is, what a lot of people were saying or in and around the office that I was talking to, you know, about the whole game was, you know, the idea that Villa really needed an early goal here. You know, they, they couldn't be yeah. chasing this game. That, that really would have put Villa under some pressure, like heavily. You know, if they, if they if they were able to go out there uh, against Leicester and grab a goal early, that would settle some nerves, and that that is what you know that is the purpose that it served. And I mean, up until that point as well, um, you'd say probably Leicester looked like you know they came out the better side, but I mean, even then Villa were uh, creating chances. It was just a very high energy game, and you just had that feeling that somebody's going to break, and whoever breaks, well, it's on them really to chase and it was it, it was good to see that um Matty Target was just running that flank for uh, the, the first 10 minutes incredibly well it looked like he wanted to score goals it really looked like Matty Target was was out there to do something dare I say I think this was his best game in a Villa shirt so far uh, I 100%. thought it, I thought it was I thought it was brilliant to see that from him him and Gilbert had an absolute cracker but up until that point um yeah good to see and Grealish finding him eventually Matty Target coming in there like he's a forward and I think it's almost reminiscent of the old uh, sort of Serie A style uh, fullbacks who are really expected to kind of do both roles. That's that's the whole idea of this system. Oh, 100%. I think uh, it's fair to say, Danny, that both our fullbacks have found their role and they're very comfortable in that role. Uh, but to get away for that for two seconds, I want to mention Jack Grealish because he, because he comes into two stats here. Um, the first one being he's been directly involved in 16 goals across all competitions for Villa this season. Mm-hmm. That equals nine goals and seven assists. That's more than any other Premier League midfielder. The other interesting fact about the first goal, Danny, of course, is Matty Target has scored two goals this season, and they've both been assisted by Jack Grealish. Now, this is an obvious question, but one I think that we have to ask nonetheless. How important is this man going forward, and not even this season, we won't focus on the season right now, just going into the cup final? Oh yeah, going into the cup final, this is it's exactly what you need. You want, you want serious leadership, you want somebody who's going to uh pull the team together and i think Grealish is is absolutely the kind of player that you need especially against manchester city the the way to beat them is you know you need to have personalities we saw in the last game against city that if you put if you bow your heads down and and, and decide that 
and in fact in that game by the way Grealish pretty much did all of the work it was, mm-hmm. it was really really sad to watch but if, if Villa go out there against Man City and it's um and it and it's and it's 11 Jack Grealish's if everybody shows the passion that Jack Grealish um shows and if they can follow his lead then I think that's the that's the only real way to win that tie I'd say so. I think there has to be an honorable mention for uh, Marvelous Nakamba in this game because, honestly, in my opinion, this is one of his best games of the season. Uh, the man was on fire, and he was honestly uh, playing that Conte role to perfection for the most part. Uh, the amount of uh, passes, surges of play going towards the Villa box, he broke up with ease. Uh, the high pressure, pressure, uh, wow, pressure situations. Um, from a corner, a set piece that he was able to clear it or bring it out of her own box to set something up moving forward. I I, I think Danny, I, I don't know if you feel the same way. Would you say that's maybe his best game so far in a Villa shirt? I don't, I don't know. I thought he played incredibly well in the last game too. Uh, the game against uh, who who was it that we that we just beat to Watford. Watford? I thought I thought I thought he had a great game against Watford in the Camp, but I, I think as of late he seems to have, he seems to be really enjoying himself. And this is no shade to Danny Drinkwater, but I think in there with with uh, Douglas Louise, he seems to really be um, making that position his own. I think it's the two of them together that, that kind of work really well. Um, I think he gets an added bit of uh, energy with Louise. He, he has somebody ready to ready to collect that ball off him. I think in that formation as well, he's, he's, he's always got somebody to the left of him. Whatever happens with Villa at the moment, with that sort of, system that they've got in place three four three for for any of the midfielders for for any of the players out there that just seems to have an they just seem to have an extra second of time and you almost felt that that was the thing with Nakamba always seemed a bit rushed always seemed like he was he was too far under pressure and he needed that extra second well now it seems like he's got it and because of that I think he's uh, settling into that position brilliantly. And I, and I did think he had a great game against Leicester. You've got to take into account that they've got Tielemann and Ndidi in there. Um, yeah. You know, that the two of them together, very energetic midfielders. You've got 100%. to work very hard to, to, to beat that side. Yeah, I, I think the thing that helps, especially the two central midfielders for Villa in this 3-4-3 especially, is now that you have your fullbacks pushed up a little bit higher, there's that whole kind of assurance now that say if Nakamba is out of out of uh, position or whoever's playing beside him in that moment, I think there's that great kind of notion that Matty Target can cut in a little bit and fill that gap if we're on um, kind of conceding a counter or uh, if someone's bombing forward, even Nakamba can come out wide and cut off that space. I think this formation honestly is, I don't know if Dean Smith has been playing with this idea for a while it seemed obviously like the 4-3-3 was kind of dead to us it just didn't work um but with this switch in formation danny we're getting off topic from the match a little bit do you think he's been plotting this for a while like i've been kind of curious that myself and i haven't asked that yet i don't i don't think we're going off topic at all because i thought that that game was uh the I think it was the perfect example of why that formation is so important to us and why it works so well. And I think with the striker up there as well, that's also uh, a case where we've basically seen it at play brilliant. I think we've only seen that formation in, in an ideal situation once with, with Wesley up top. All right, you can True. talk about Kodja, but he hasn't looked very good for Villa um, at all. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think... Dean Smith was plotting it because we stuck with that 4-3-3 for a very long time before changing it up. 
uh we were calling for it for a long time uh the switch uh yeah matty target and fred gilbert they are the keys in this formation really we talk about jack Grealish, but he play equally well in the other formations he's always been playing out wide like that i'd say the defenders as well Hawes, mings and goyo uh all all three of them seem to look more comfortable in that formation brilliant to have Mings back but Gilbert and Target it relies on their work rate it relies on them saying okay we're we're happy to bomb down uh about bombing up bomb up and down the pitch whether that be attacking whether that be defending uh but it it's also a formation that relies on on everybody to cover each other sometimes Target is is a little bit farther further up mm-hmm. sometimes he's, he has ventured up there to help Jack Creelish but that's okay because Courtney Hawes can can cover that left-hand side or Gilbert might have to go up a little bit further to to help out Ogazi but that's okay because Konza can 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 slip in on that right-hand side really against Leicester uh it just it just seemed to work so well Gilbert found himself in so much space ahead of Barnes Chilwell almost seemed stuck back there uh, Matty Target again as well. Just him and Pereiro had an absolute battle out there. Oh, totally. 100%. Honestly, uh, maybe it's bold. I think this is, has been our best performance in this uh, 3-4-3. Just the fact that it's Leicester, where they are, how well they're doing this season. And it was clear there was no fear because you could look at previous games this season. You could tell we're on the back foot. You could tell we're gassed out. You could tell we're frustrated. There's nothing. There's no ideas moving forward or even uh, defending. In this game, it was just back and forth. Yes, we conceded some uh, possession. I think uh, they had 62 we had 38, although it didn't really feel like that at times. Uh, there was a lot of back and forth. And for the first time, probably, to be honest, this season, I felt, okay, we're going to concede here in terms of the amount of counterattacks we're going to have. And yes, I think they had around 22 shots with six on target. But there wasn't a lot of times this match, Danny, where I felt oh, we're going to lose here. And that's something that's been with us all season. I mean, I kind of started feeling after Kalechi scored. Do you think yeah, I mean, so? Because I well, didn't. Well, Villa did kind of... They, they, they played well for a little bit after that. And then sort of in that last... I mean, once it hit the sort of 80-minute mark, it almost seemed as though Leicester have all of the ball here. If, if, if we let them keep that ball... As long, expected, though. Mm, yeah, yeah, I suppose so. I suppose so. I think, as you say, a lot of possession from Leicester. But uh, if, if we're going to get back into the sort of meat of that match... Mm-hmm. A lot of their chances, a lot of the shots that they took, they had 22 shots uh, in comparison to R9. But when you look at their shots, uh, so many of them were coming from long range. It felt like they'd, they'd identified something in training. It felt like they'd identified something in Brent, with Brendan Rodgers in terms of what is Orion Nyland's weakness. Um, maybe they've been prepared for Pepe Reina. I don't know. But they kept shooting from range. And it, it kept on happening, Cole. I, I don't know if you remember, but Neyland having to uh, slip to his left and right so many times in that oh, first half. Oh, he was amazing. Best match in a Villa shirt by far. Oh, yeah. This is, this is his best game so far. That that oh. was Orion Nyland. Fully developed. You forget that the guy's 29 sometimes. It's crazy to think, Danny. Uh, we're kind of... I'm getting off topic again, but... Uh, there we have three keepers technically obviously one's on loan uh, that i have full confidence in right now and i don't remember the last time that's ever happened <laughs> See, so. i i don't know i mean are you fully confident with Neeland? is he not so he had a great game against leicester but and he had a great game in the in the last game i think it was against leicester i can't remember 
but he's also just he decides when to turn up, doesn't he? I'm not not saying he decides to, but he, he gets he can be one way or the other, right? I think when it comes to him, um, I think he's one of those keepers, and this can apply to any sport, where he's just one of those guys that needs to face a lot of shots um, to kind of get into rhythm, to get into that uh, comfortable, focused spot. And obviously, like I said before, they had 20, uh, 22 shots this game. And no matter them only having six on target, obviously equaling six saves, Um with that being said, it still allows him to get in a position to be mentally prepared to face those shots. And I think that does help him. And we have to give some credit, of course, to the back three as well, because they're putting a lot of pressure. They're forcing Lester to shoot from that distance. And obviously the further the players are out, arguably the more comfortable Nylon's going to be, um, which was kind of weird though. I'm kind of backtracking on what I just said too, because the closer Lester got, it was kind of weird. Typically from close range, and I don't have the stats on this, Nyland concedes a hell of a lot of goals from inside the box when, obviously, the opponent is in the box. But this game, it seemed like it didn't matter what it was. You could be 30 yards out or literally right in front of him. It just didn't matter, Danny. Yeah, he had a great game. He, he, just, he just looked brilliant. I think all Villa fans seem to have a very similar idea of Nyland right now. In that he's a brilliant keeper. The only thing he needs to work on really is his distribution. But it looked, you know, he looked he looked so safe in this game. Um, the, the defenders, as you say, just blocking the shots for fun as well. I think what really didn't help Leicester again, and we've been saying this is I don't think they're very good at playing against that three at the back. When you got Ian Acho, Perez, and Madison uh, up top, obviously Vardy came on a little bit later on. You can stretch a couple of centre backs, right? You can you yeah. can stretch two centre backs. You can you can you know, work them out. But when they start trying to work through this narrow channel, these yeah. narrow channels, you know, in between Ngoyo, um, I, I got to stop calling him Ngoyo, Konza, um, <laughs> Mings, but that's his name. Um, Konza, Mings and Hawes. They, they just seem to kind of go, wait a minute. We don't have quite as much space as we're used to. I think that's what happened to them. Yeah. Let's switch uh, points of view here. Let's go to the top of the pitch because, and Buona Samata made his Aston Villa debut. And Danny, how'd you feel about that? Because to be honest, I didn't notice him too much. Obviously, there is that one uh, glaring missed opportunity that could have technically sealed it earlier on. Mm-hmm. But besides that, in my opinion, I didn't notice him much. But the presence of just having a capable striker seemed to open up so much for Grealish um, and really everyone else. Oh, he ran the channels well. I mean, this goes back to people criticizing Wesley for not doing enough sometimes. It's basics. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's basics. And we play we play with width. We play out wide. Samata comes comes back a little bit. He, play, he played the same role that Wesley plays. He played the same role. He, 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 he came back, you know, and he supported the midfielders. He gave somebody to pass to, and then he distributed it back out wide. That's what they do. Yeah. They, they work as a pivot, Team Smith strikers, don't they, by the looks of it? And he he was energetic right from the off. He looked to win the ball. He was always looking for headers. And he, to be fair to him, in the air, I was pretty impressed with him. I thought he I thought he did well at winning winning balls. The only negative about his performance, in my eyes, was that miss. That was that was not getting at the end of that. It was a lot of pace on it. Um, it was a lot of whip on it. Maybe he got a little bit nervous. But honestly, going forward, I'm I'm pretty confident with him. 
Oh, same here. Let's uh, let's round out uh, the goals here, and then we'll just gonna get onto some closing thoughts, and we'll get onto the uh, next topic of conversation. But anyways, of course, in the 72nd minute, Leicester did of course equalize, and I'm sure this is where uh, the typical Villa fan thought, "Oh no, here we go again," because Harvey Barnes weaves through the Villa box with relevant ease on the left-hand side, fires a low cross um, across, obviously the box. And, of course, like we said before, Kelechi Iheanacho loves to score against the Villa, and he makes it <laughs> one all. And, uh, Danny, is this a is this a centre-back error? Whose error is this? Because when I look at it, it kind of looks like it should have been um, Haas's man, but at the same time, it probably should have been the full-backs. It, just, it was one of those moments, in my opinion, where we looked like we just completely switched off. Maybe we were too comfortable. No, you know what? Uh, I, I think at the time... I think I tweeted that, oh, you know, it's poor. The defender should be stopping the cross. But you know what? It's a good goal. It's a good goal from Leicester. You know, they're they're, they're losing. The onus is on them. We've got enough. We've got defenders back here, yeah. And all that's essentially happened is that I think they've charged at us. Madison's done well. And they've got a lot of men in the box. You know, you whip that ball across and it's anybody's guess what happens. Uh, it just so happens that Leicester get to it first. Should Hawes be a little bit stronger here? Probably. You know, should Joubert, uh, you know, be uh, stopping that from coming in? Maybe. But I just think, again, you know, it's a good goal. It's well created. And there's not a lot you can say here. It was just a brilliant, brilliant ball on uh, on the left foot, to be fair. Yeah, it, I think it's just one of those sucker punches where um, no matter if you're a Villa fan or whatever uh team you support it's Leicester they're a quality side I think this match always kind of had that aura that both teams were going to score it just kind of felt like a back and forth topsy-turvy game at points and of course Leicester arguably dominating in possession um I, I that kind of gave that inevitability as well um let's get on to the 93rd minute we've already talked about this goal at length already but again this is Trezeguet a man who arguably I don't think is the greatest finisher um (laughs) a couple of goals that he scored this year have been a little fluky and actually to be honest Danny the chance he had before this where he ran I think actually he ran around Evans and had a clear shot at goal he just literally passed it to the keeper well how did you feel about the sequence of play sorry to cut you off no it's all right I mean I'll come back to you like what what did you think like it was it why why was he so under pressure there like was it was it just that he's soft i mean it's because it just felt a bit soft i don't know what it was about that like was he under pressure i don't really think he was um and even the goal he scored it was a little scuffed because there was a second where i thought it might actually just uh, miss that post and go uh past the goal but uh, to get to your point i don't know if it's a i feel like with trezeguet um his with his pace and his buildup, I feel like he puts so much um, almost agility into his sprint that when it gets to that final product, to that decision, do I pass, shoot, cross, whatever? I feel like at that point he doesn't necessarily always know what to do and panics a little bit. I kind of get that sense. Um, I don't know how obviously you feel about it. We'll get to that in a second, but I just feel like it's that kind of split decision making that he's evidently lacking. Yeah, it's funny as well because I've always thought he was like right-footed, right? Yeah. Um, like that's am, am I wrong in thinking that? But uh, 
I don't know. <laughs> I'm gonna. I gotta confirm this because it, it seemed like he, he he just kept on whacking everything with his left foot. Um, what's interesting, Cole? Yeah. <laughs> what was really interesting to me was uh, when he got brought on. Yep. Jack Grealish got moved on to the right hand side. So was Dean Smith planning something here? Was there something that he's been working on with Trezeguet? Because Trezeguet looked really comfortable out on the left. He played really well from there. You, you said, you know, you mentioned he had that chance earlier on, and then he scored that goal um, straight after. I've always thought with Trezeguet, he's a very good player. He's very good at positioning. He's he's he's, he's pacey and uh, he can play on either either wing. Maybe he hasn't got a great ball on him, but the only thing that I think is missing from him is a good finish. I'd say so. What, what, what did you what did you make of Dean Smith moving Grealish out out wide for him then? Like, did you think there was something going on? No, I think. Well, personally, I think Trezeguet's best position probably is out left, because um, technically that's where we signed him, right? Because El Ghazi plays on the right. Um, so I think really it was probably more of a matter of your right winger is probably a little lethargic at this point. I don't want to take Grealish off the pitch. So let's move him over there. Let's get fresh legs on the left. And to be honest, just thinking about it now, um, it's a little bit more clear. I felt like the left-hand side of the pitch for the last 20 minutes was fairly open. Um, so I think putting Trezeguet there and fresh legs on and still having the influence of Grealish cutting in from the right and doing whatever, basically whatever the hell he wants on the pitch I felt like that was the ultimate demise, in my opinion, of Leicester in this match. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think Pereira just looked lost a couple of times, right? Because Pereira is another one of them players, you know, who's a bit a bit like Matty Target in the sense that, or, that he's just bombing up and down the pitch. Just bombing up and down the pitch. So immediately you've got Trezeguet on who, who, who creates so much movement. And you've got this massive space between Pereira and Soyuncu, which, which Villa have basically exploited. That that's what it, That's what it was, really. And uh, I think it was just brilliant to see Villa, you know, taking advantage of that because it was twice that that happened. It was twice that that open space got uh, uh, exploited, basically. Or I, I think oh. I think Trezeguet comes around the left hand side of, of Pereira at that point. But then, you know, he's, he's created space out there, too. Um, and I just I just thought from from that perspective, that's probably stuff that Dean Smith's probably worked on that. You know, you, you you probably might you probably haven't even thought about. Yeah, 100%. But anyways, we'll wrap that part of this edition of the whole cast up. Danny, let's get your match ball. Hold on. What about what about that cross? We've got to, we've got to mention that ball one more time. We're gonna time, mention man. the cross. Okay. Great. Mention it oh, one more time then. <laughs> listen, listen. There's 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 there's, there's two there's, there's two key substitutions in that game. In, actually, no, there's three key substitutions in that game, which win us that match. Cole, Trezeguet, Keenan Davis, and El Mahamedi. Now, Ahmed El-Mohamedi gets so much stick, but how many times has he actually just pulled something out of nowhere? True. And his, his balls in are, are brilliant. I don't think anybody expected him to do what he did. A bit like Alan Hutton last season. Just pulled something out of nowhere that you just don't expect. And he's, he's whipped it in from the middle of the area, um, middle of Leicester's area. And, oh, just a sublime ball, man. I don't ever remember seeing a better, a better cross, man. He's an excellent crosser of the ball. He's honestly, he's so underrated. And and I think that's one of the main reasons he was kept in because he's not going to play a lot. He does his job, but his delivery is in my opinion up there. It's so underrated, Danny. Yeah, it's it is incredibly underrated. He's a brilliant uh, backup um right back and 
he, he doesn't deserve the stick that he gets. The Egyptian link-up works well. Brilliant finish from Trezeguet. It just Let's just also mention just, just how difficult that finish really is because uh, the, the ball's in the air. He's had to leap for it, and he's somehow managed to get enough power on it. So good finish from him. And also just a quick shout-out to Keenan Davis, who I thought I don't think we would have uh, won if he hadn't come on, in in, in all fairness, because his link-up play and his work rate uh, since making his return from injury was absolutely magnificent. Should have got an assist when Trezeguet scoffed that first chance too. Oh, 100%. I think there is some weird stat about uh, Keenan Davis in this game as well, that he had twice as many touches as like any other striker on the pitch, oh, and he was only on for 20 minutes. Or, it was yeah. four dribbles, yeah. I think that just shows what kind of striker center forward he is. Um, someone that's going to hold onto the ball and wait and set up that counter. And it obviously it made the difference. But anyways, Danny, we'll wrap this up for this part. <laughs> Do you want to give me your match ball finally? <laughs> Sorry, man. I had to, I had to, I had to get, give a shout out to those boys. It's um, my match ball goes to Matt Target. Um, I thought he had a brilliant game on that left-hand side. Actually, no, no. Oh, this... Oh, I totally forgot about Nyland. Okay, I'm I'm sure I'm sure it's gonna go one of each way. So I'll make the target case. Okay. As, uh, I, I forgive me if I'm wrong. I feel like you're gonna go from for Nyland, but if you're not, it's cool. He can be the third one. Matty Target did brilliantly. Uh, he defensively was, you know, he had a good game. He he worked well against Pereira. Um, yeah, I thought he supported Courtney Hawes fairly well as well when when Ayuzi Perez was was coming at him, and I I just thought that it was his intensity in in the first half. It was his intensity certainly within the first first fifteen to twenty minutes, which really steamed Villa on. It was like he came on the pitch and he was the guy that said to everybody, "Listen, I want to be in the final, and you're going to get in the final for me. This is this is our game. This is us getting into the League Cup final, and I don't." want it any other way and it was him that really shouldered the responsibility it's usually jack Grealish, but now nah, it was matty targets game oh 100 i think it's just great to have someone else essentially take the pressure off of Grealish's shoulders even for a moment uh definitely helps and for my match ball uh it's a good thing i remember this because i think last time i forgot to even give one um but I'm going to have to go with the man in goal nyland he was always going to be it was inevitable the man made three excellent saves top quality saves that ultimately kept Villa in this and in my opinion is the reason why we won this game because without those saves you'd have to argue it could have been three or four one you just never know how that momentum switch could play into this game just seemed absolutely out of this world I can't blame the one he conceded obviously because your defenders and ultimately your fullback should be doing a better job there. But yes, we'll have to give it to Nyland. But anyways, we do want to talk about something very quickly because it's an interesting topic that's come up with, uh, I, I don't want to say higher class managers, but managers of the bigger sides in terms of positioning. So your Manchester cities, um, your Spurs of this world, because you know, Mourinho and Pep, they just love to be negative and whine about everything. Pep Guardiola in the last week or so has said a numerous amount of times uh, that essentially the Carabao Cup should be scrapped and essentially that FA Cup replays should be scrapped as well. Danny, how do you feel about that? Well, listen, certainly, you know, there's voices from the, um, I, I mean, certainly from, from Jurgen Klopp as of late, you know, talking about, you know, the importance of these games and, and how, you know, physically they cannot put their, their full first teams out and that kind of thing. Um, 
And I just feel as though this is all coming from the from the bigger teams. And it's like, hang on a second. You're up there. You're doing incredibly well because you've got the money to have a squad. You've got the money to be successful. And yeah, you're going to shoulder a little bit more responsibility. Talking down these cups, it really takes away the... It really takes away the magic for sides like us yeah. or other sides in the Premier League who aren't, you know, regularly playing European football, who who aren't playing a ridiculous number of games. I think there was some stat that like Shrewsbury had played, you know, a couple of games less than Liverpool all season. Yep. And, you know, they're all professional footballers. They've, they've all got to go through all of that. They've all got to go through that. And yes, I understand the need for a rest, but don't complain. Switch your team up. You know, talk about squad rotation. That's fine. Look at Pep Guardiola. Pep Guardiola manages to do it. I think I think I, I have to I have to say fair play to Pep Guardiola because even if he has talked about you know scrapping replays and that kind of thing, he still goes out there in cup competitions, you know, fully wanting to win it, fully ready to win it. Um, and yeah, I, th- I don't know. I just I just feel as though if if that's your opinion, kind of keep it to yourself because you know it's yeah, you know you're you're. you're not keep it to yourself necessarily, but just you've got to be careful about how you talk about these competitions because it means a lot to other teams. I think the issue with me is, and especially when you look at Pep, the 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 man, the club of Man City, they have like three squads in one. Like you don't have to play Mares or Aguero or even arguably Jesus against lower sides or sides you don't deem to be worthy of those players playing. You have youth players there. You look at Man City's academy. It's supposed to be one of the best in the world nowadays. They like, There's just no excuse. Look at Liverpool. Of course, they had a fixture issue with us. They played a young, a completely young team of, what, U23s? Like, I'm not expecting that from Manchester City and some of these big sides. But plan smarter because clearly when it comes to fixture congestion time, it seems like it's every year it's the same people complain about it. But I'm thinking, if you've been complaining about this for the last three years, if not more, why haven't you done anything about it yourself? Like, that's the issue with me that just doesn't make any sense. Because why take something away from clubs like Shrewsbury, Tranmere, Rovers, whoever, especially when the FA Cup, when you go non-league sides? Because especially when you look at non-league sides, them getting into the actual, I guess you consider big rounds, um, like so the round of 32, 16, whatever, that's huge income for these clubs. Even if they're in League 1 or League 2, that's massive for yeah. them when they go to Anfield or when they go to Stanford Bridge. That's huge. Or, that's huge news for them. Or forcing a replay at Anfield or forcing a replay at... Um, it's a great story. Yeah, and, and you know for a lot of those clubs, right, that one all draw at their home ground, you know, taking them on that replay, that's massive. That's yeah. brilliant. We get to go to Old Trafford. We get to share the, you know, ticket receipts. You know, that 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 is huge for teams. You can't take that away from them. Um, anyway, I know, I know you got to like, I I know I know these teams have to prioritize. I, I I get that. Um, I totally get that. But. Again, I just I just find the complaining about it really weird. You you do have youth players, you do have players who can step in, and you know I'm not being funny again, but this is why this is why a lot of these guys are paid a hundred grand a week. It's not easy. It's not supposed to be easy. Exactly. Like if you wanted easy, you would I don't know what you'd do, but um, <laughs> you you would definitely have different avenues. Like I, I think the biggest issue with me as well um, before we wrap this topic up. I think it's the fact that, especially in England, 
you see a lot of pe- people complain with the big sides. Oh, play your youth. They don't play these youth players. You let them go for nothing. Villa have been in that situation in the past where there's been a number of players. I look at the likes of uh, Callan Robinson, especially uh, a few players like that, where I was kind of hoping they would do something or maybe actually get a look in here and there for a few cup games. And they just didn't. They go away. They prove themselves, albeit at a lower level. And they do the job. And I think if you're not going to use use these players, then you can't complain. But it's game Danny, management, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. But Danny, we'll, let's move on. Uh, let's get to the big preview against Bournemouth because I, I assume a lot of people listening to this want to maybe hear our thoughts on that as well. And at the end, we'll go over some quick Twitter questions because I did reach out on the 7,500 to hold account. You can follow us there at 7,500 to hold and uh, get involved. Of course, every week when we tweet out, of course, like I said, we are playing Bournemouth. Uh, last time we played Bournemouth, we lost two one. Of course, that's the infamous match where we basically screwed ourselves over within the first 20 or so minutes and it was catch up game from there and we couldn't ultimately scratch it back in time to get anything out of it. Danny, with that being said, how do you feel about Villa going into this game or are you at an all time confidence this season? Are you a little weary? Because when you look at the standings and kind of, I guess, recent form within the last game or two, both sides are on kind of an even kill. Yeah, I mean, you could. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know. I think I think Villa have been slightly better than Bournemouth as of late. I think you look at Bournemouth, and you know they're certainly starting to look like one of those. A lot of people seem to think Bournemouth are kind of dead and buried, or not dead and buried, but one of the teams to go down. You ask most people, they'll say Norwich, Bournemouth, and mm, Aston Villa. No, a lot of people, um, but I just think they they haven't got a lot at the moment. They have lost most of. I think they've only won the one game since um, since the start of the year. Lost four nil to to West Ham. You know, lost three nil to Watford. I mean, fair play. They turned it around and, and and beat Brighton. They looked a little bit better against Arsenal in the FA Cup. But you know, as of, as of late, you know, they even lost to Norwich, didn't they? They even lost to Norwich one nil. Um, I just, yeah, I I'm not, so. I'm not super impressed with them right now. I'm not gonna lie. Uh, but. You know, you might look at that 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 game against Brighton, especially like a, a rival side. You might look at that as a uh, as a turning point because, of course, the both the Wilsons got goals, but I think more importantly, it was Callum Wilson who finally got a goal back. To be fair, though, when I look at that Brighton game for Bournemouth, I just think that's ultimately Brighton's on a bit of a downturn. I don't think Brighton are as good as they are. And I think that's just kind of that club coming back down to reality a little bit where that's a big game. That's a relatively local derby, would you say, Danny? So, yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. So I, I think that game, one of those games can go really either way when it's local bragging rights and all that kind of stuff. But when I look at Bournemouth in particular, yeah, they've had a little bit of an upturn in terms of keeping games close, albeit losing. And of course, beating Brighton, I just I just don't see it. Overall, like in, in my opinion, I think they're doomed next to Norwich. I just, I think Eddie Howe has finally ran out of ideas. Yeah, he's always been seen as the, um, you know, as, as as the next great young English manager, but he hasn't really managed to get Bournemouth to kick on. I don't know if that's necessarily his fault, but you know, Bournemouth they're not they're not a team with a massive amount of income. They're not a team with a massive amount of money. Um, I think as well, you look at you look at that side and you and you look at some of the signings that they made. And, you know, it's a bit questionable sometimes, isn't it? It is a bit questionable at times. Like oh, yeah. Dom- like Dominic Solanke. I don't know 
why they decided to sign him, really. Um, you know, a lot of the a lot of the defenders as well probably don't have an awful lot of uh, Premier League experience. Um, actually, no, that's a bit of a lie. They, they didn't <laughs> they didn't have an awful lot of Premier League experience before before they got promoted. Um, and maybe maybe they're just finding their level. It feels a bit harsh, but they just don't seem to be a side which has any real identity to me. That's that's I think the the, the main issue. Um, yeah. You know when you, you you talk about them maybe losing ideas, it's start it's starting to look like that, and they just haven't been scoring goals. Cole, they just haven't been scoring goals at all. I mean, and they, apart from that game against Brighton where they scored three, I think before that you had to look back. Um, I think you had to look back until Boxing Day before they scored another goal. I'm I believe so. Goal. There was like a three or four game drought. Um, where they honestly could not generate, they could barely generate shots. I think even during that period. So if, yeah, if we're you're going, right. if we're going purely Premier League, it's one, two, three, four games, and those games included West Ham, Brighton, Watford, and Norwich. That is not a good forecast. No, not at all. I, I think the thing we do have to remember, and I don't want to uh, poo-poo on <laughs> Bournemouth too much because the ultimate reality is, Danny, we're on 25 points. They're only on 23. We're in 16th. They're filling the final relegation spot in 18th. That's how tight it is from basically bottom to yeah. honestly yeah. about, what, 14th, you'd say? Newcastle, are, I think, believe, at 30th, I believe. Um, and there's just kind of that gap between ultimately Norwich and uh, right I can't remember who's directly below Newcastle at this point in time, but there's just that gap. Maybe it's Brighton. Um, so it's going to be topsy-turvy. And you're going to see more clubs start drag being dragged into this as we go along. Uh, but if we're going to be a little bit more positive on the Villa spin of things and go away from Bournemouth for two seconds, in this match particularly, because we played on Tuesday, and in my opinion, there's no excuses. That's still a lot of time for recovery. Who do you think starts in goal? Do you think, depending on Reina's fitness, he comes back in, or do you roll with Nyland on this one? I think if Reina's fit, Reina starts, most likely. I mean, they've both been brilliant, but you'll, they'll probably look at Reina and go, right, he's been the Premier League guy, especially for his leadership. Uh, no offense to Nyland. I thought he had a good game against Leicester, but I think you're more likely to know what you're going to get with Reina. Yeah. I think that's, that's the only thing. Um, I also think think as well it's most likely that it's gonna this i mean if bournemouth score i think it will be from a set piece that's absolutely generally what i'd expect and uh if that's the case i'd probably be a bit more excited to have rainer in goal yeah absolutely that's fair enough i i feel the exact same way uh experience and more of a kind of cool head kind of wins out in this particular scenario we need points and to be honest danny if we somehow win this 28 points that's a great turn in form and that does give us a little bit of breathing room because depending on how things go this weekend i know i'm saying a lot of what ifs that could really turn this season around yeah it could it could i mean listen a couple of wins on the bounce for us could really could really do wonders in the premier league um really could we're, we're kind of in and out aren't we in terms of games at the moment don't tend to draw a lot uh <laughs> Three wins in the last six pretty is a pretty good return. I think if we can if we can get in this game and get into Bournemouth's heads, then I think I think that would be that'd be big for us. If we score early, I think I think it's really gonna really gonna make Bournemouth suffer because they, they, they don't look like they're able to score goals at the moment. Yes, they had that good game against Brighton, 
Um, but I think apart from that, you know, they've also got injury issues. Joshua King's mm-hmm. out. David Brooks out as well. Big misses. Massive misses. Massive misses. Um, I think. Yeah, I, I think I think we should be able to do it. I think the question is now whether or not Keenan Davis starts up there with uh, with Grealish and Elkazi, or whether it's Samata. That's going to be the interesting one for me. Well, what's the matter, Danny? What's the matter exactly? Let's get your score prediction, if I could, good sir. 2-1. Keenan Davis scores the winner. Ooh, I like the confidence. Are, are, are we just going with 2-1 on your way? Because uh, that we all got the prediction right on, the, oh my God. on Tuesday yeah. night. What, what, what on earth happened there? I think that's a Hulk cast first. I don't think we've... All of us have all predicted the same thing once this season, and we all got it right. Yeah, I think that's the, that's the big thing. It's the fact that every single one of us managed to guess the 2-1 victory. Well, that's why people should listen to the whole cast, because we're <laughs> always right. No, we're not. But uh, no, um, if I'll say my score prediction here quickly... Um, uh, hmm. You know what? Before the Watford game, I probably would have maybe pegged this as the must win so i'm gonna stick that way i was kind of thinking watford might be the draw yeah. um so i'm gonna be uber confident here and say oh, it's at the vitality too though yeah i'm gonna go with you i'm gonna say 2-1 as well let's keep the let's keep the 2-1 streak up maybe the other guys <laughs> will uh, join us and we'll get that right again because uh, that would be one hell of a feat i'm a little annoyed by the 2-1 prediction last time because Obviously, there's a little bit of a competitive streak in all of us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was kind of hoping, like, oh, a few other guys will get it wrong to put me back in it. Because right now, I think <laughs> James is leading the, the predictions yeah, league right now. So, good on him. Uh, but, Danny, if we have some time here, shall we get to some uh, Twitter questions and round out the whole cast? Yeah, let's do that. Let's do that. Go, awesome. Go okay. It. Let's get uh, my trusty phone up here, and we'll get to the first one. So, thank you, of course for getting involved and tweeting at, at us. It's greatly appreciated. The first one comes from Charlie AVCJX on Twitter, where he says, where does McGinn fit into this midfield slash formation? Um, he'd argue that Douglas and Nakamba both undroppable on recent form and McGinn's ability to play in a two is questionable. Danny, how do you feel about that? Oh man, I love that question. I love that question. Uh, McGinn's our best midfielder, right? Yeah. But you're right. Like his his ability to play in a two is questionable. Actually, I'm not sure it's it, I don't I don't know if it's because of him. I think it's just Nicam- how well the competition is right now. Like this is the best situation Villa can be in in my opinion where even your best midfielder can't even potentially get into the side because everyone else is playing so well. That's amazing to see. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um I think I think what you do is, I think, again, you've this might be a, the most boring answer ever. I think you just stick or twist, don't you? Douglas yeah. Louise and, and Nakamba at the moment are working very well together, so you can't drop either of them, really. Um, if, you want, if Dean Smith looked at that team and went, right, I'm happy now with the way Mings and Konza are performing, I think we can go back to a back four, and maybe he sticks McGinn in that midfield with, uh, with uh, Douglas Louise and Nakamba. That again, though, that leaves Grealish out wide. <laughs> that's that's the other problem you've got there. Um, but I think what you do is, as you said, as I said earlier, stick or twist. Douglas Louise and the camera, they stay they stay playing. If McGinn gets his opportunity and he plays better than them, then well, then you stick him in the team. 
Um, I think he rotates. I think rotation is key. Uh, this is what happened with Drinkwater. He played a couple of games. He looked okay. But when Douglas Louise came off the bench, he looked better. So uh, this is this is generally how football works. And I think that's uh, that's the only way we can do it. That's fair enough. Well, let's get to the next one. Actually, I'll skip this one because uh, a guy was just asking if we liked his toque. Um, oh, this guy asked for, um, it seemed like he asked for promotion. Yeah. Uh, uh, no slide into my DMs. <laughs> I, uh, I accept paid advertisement um, on my Twitter. So if you want to do that, feel free. <laughs> I'm an open agent. Uh, but anyways, let's get on to the next one. Thank you all for, of course, who tweeted, like I said earlier. Let's get to AVFC, AVFC regular and friend of the Holtcast, Trevor Hood, Big Trev. Um, his question is, is this momentum real? And his comment is, I felt Samata looked comfortable out, seemed to be in forward positions, and we've all been craving. Um, I'm reading a little bit slow right now because I just realized I, <laughs> I had my little uh, screen protector in front of my Yeti mic in front of me, and it was in front of my phone too, and I couldn't see, so that's not the best way to read. But <laughs> Danny, is this question is his question valid? Is this momentum real? Is this momentum? I mean, yeah, sure. Look, it's two wins in the 90th <laughs> minute out of out of nowhere. Um, wait, is this is this a question about Samata or is this a question about our momentum? I, I, honestly, I don't know, but let's turn it into the whole club's momentum because right. honestly, I think there is. Yeah, it's it's last minute glory and it's getting things at the last breath of a game, but nonetheless, it's positive and it's points and that's what we need. Well, let's you know, let's let's look at this, right? There's there's a couple of things here which have improved for us. We learned to play without a striker, did okay without one, right? Mm-hmm. Now we've got a striker. We had a situation where our substitutions were quite poor. Dean Smith not able to change games in the same way that other teams had against us. But now all of a sudden the substitutions are working. Uh, Douglas Louise has changed the game on his own a couple of times. True. And El Mahamedi comes on and, you know, and, and Trezeguet, obviously. The two of them come on and, and even Keenan Davis. i got to throw that one out there as, as well. Now, Dean Smith's throwing out substitutions and they are working and, uh, and, and they are, um, you know, going to our favour. We've had a couple of we've had a couple of key refereeing decisions go our way. I We're know what you're getting into up. right now. No, I but I'm just what... no. I, I know. I know. No, no. I'm not. I'm not going to go into it just yet. Okay. But what, okay. What, 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 what I'm trying to say is, things are going well for us. We've got to ride yeah. that wave. We've got to we've got to ride that confidence, and the players look a lot less nervy because of it. So, if your question is whether that momentum is real or not, I would say yes, it is. We looked. We look so much a better side at the moment, and we're learning, and uh, it's just good to see that. Hundred percent. I totally agree. Let's get to your point here, because I feel like you're itching to say it, buddy. Leicester should have got a penalty <laughs> <laughs> uh, in that in that game earlier. Um, well, whilst we're on whilst we're on the topic of Twitter, right? Yeah. D- then James Madison in a move that I I don't think I've ever seen a premier league player do this before right forget this for a moment sorry to cut you off yeah it's like it's like that kid on the schoolyard who got picked last and then just basically obviously he's playing now but he's still bitter about it so he's just going to continue to whine about it even like three years after it happened it's just going to scar him bro, like he that, always got picked last 
yeah, bro, bro, what's your problem in it? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. What, what, like he's he, he's James Madison. He doesn't need to prove anything, bro. You're out, you're out of the you're out of the League Cup. Sure. Focus on getting on the Champions League, mate. That's where you're going to be playing next season. You know the 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 the, the fact that he's come on a day later and thrown his toys out the pram, like you like like you just said, is absolutely mental to me. He shows the video of Nakamba putting his hand up in the air. Mm-hmm. He did make his body bigger, right? That that ball whacks his hand and it stops the ball from you know going goalward. I don't know if that's going in, but it does stop that. Nonetheless, do you want me to read this? Do you want me to read this Twitter out, this tweet out from James Madison? Yeah, but my question before that is: Would this have a different reaction to most fans, Villa fans or not, if this was say posted last night? Would it be more acceptable? No, no, I don't think so. I don't think so. I think I could I could just see it more last night, in my opinion, in terms of it just happened. You're bitter. You're still in that moment. But now I'm thinking, dude, it's literally like midweek. You have a big Premier League game on the weekend. You're a pro footballer. Show some more professionalism. I like the passion. I, I, I understand he's upset, but come on. There's bigger things to cry about. And in my opinion, there's no like it, it's just kind of one of those like the pot calling the kettle black situations where I'm thinking, oh, so Leicester haven't had anything that's questionable in the like in a similar manner happen this season. Like, come on. It's bad either way. It's yeah. bad either way. Right? Read the tweet, please. Okay, so he says, fair play to Aston Villa for getting to the final and not making any excuses. But how a Premier League referee watching this from multiple angles several times comes to the conclusion that this isn't a bad penalty baffles me. James, I take your point. Absolutely. But the fans have probably said this. You don't need to come out there and make a comment. He's made himself look silly. And I don't know what's going to happen to him now. I don't know if he's going to get in trouble for it or not. But the tweet's still up there. It's 1 a.m. now. It was it was up at 6.35. Uh, that's not even taking into account that Twitter's copyright policy likes to strike everything. Um, I, don't, I don't know how it stands. <laughs> I don't know where it stands with this. Um, but, yeah, I just think... You, you just don't tweet about that stuff as a professional footballer. It's just not it's just not the done thing to do. But I mean, do you, do you think it's acceptable? Do you think if you've had a have something like that deny you in a in a key game, do you not think that you're within your own right to come out and, and address your opinion? I think you can address it, but there's other ways to address it. You can address it internally with your whether it's your teammates, your work colleagues, whatever. And there's also a way that he could have maybe spoke to the referee after. Maybe he did. I don't know. I missed that potentially. There's, Or he could have done an interview after and said, well, this call, blah, 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 and briefly mentioned it. But to do it this way after the fact, like, it's just, it's just clutching straws. And the best part of this whole tweet is basically he's trying to say he's not bothered. But, like, yeah. you're clearly <laughs> triggered if you're mentioning it. Like, it's yeah. just, it like... How many times I want to facepalm right now is ridiculous because it just makes no sense. And in my opinion, it, it just kind of screams immaturity, albeit he is still young. I think it's a, a player with still a lot to learn in that regard. Not, no one's perfect, and I'm sure there's going to be bigger news in like a few days when it's the weekend, and that'll kind of be brushed aside eventually. But it's it just seems like he is bitter, and to not say he is not bitter is basically just 
proving to everyone that he is. I think the other thing is that, you know, it's not helping. It's really going to put him, it's really going to sort of like look bad on him as well because there's this media obsession at the moment of Madison versus Grealish, isn't there? I think Sky Sports put up a video yesterday of every single Grealish and Madison goal of the <laughs> season. You, like, what? Did you like, see that that one uh, picture? And it's like Grealish is, I think he has the ball or he's running in front of Madison. And um, it's like a comment for Grealish saying, I'm taking my dog for a walk or something <laughs> like that. God. No. <laughs> but, you know, it's that, it's, that, it's, that, it's that fake rivalry that's been brought up. Like, which one of them is going to get picked for England? They're both good players, man. They're both good yeah. players. But Pick Jack Grealish wouldn't. I the other the thing is Jack Grealish would never act like that on Twitter. No. What what I want to ask you as well actually because because you're you know obviously from North America and everything like Premier League footballers have this reputation for being super media trained and you know not um, coming out and, and saying things like is it a bit different over there like in terms of athletes or? Um. Yes and no. Um. I I think the best comparison and like the worst would be i'd say they're all media trained in extent um you do have a few here especially in the hockey culture because i like canada is hockey mad it's kind of obvious um there's a few different people where for example there's a hockey player retired hockey player called paul bizanet um but basically he was like kind of bottom of the barrel in terms of his quality for his team um so he kind of made more of his uh notoriety off of twitter uh kind of being quirky on there just getting involved and all that kind of stuff now he runs a very successful hockey podcast probably one of the biggest in the world um off of that so oh nice yeah and to relate it back to the question probably wasn't as media trained as everyone else um there's instances that everywhere where people are going to kind of go off of that kind of typical yes, no, here's the quote pro answer to essentially, I'm just going to say my opinion and I'm going to basically leave it out there for whoever to say their piece. I respect that. But again, I think my final thought on this is just, there's a time and a place and that wasn't the time and the place. Should it have been a handball though? Should it have been a penalty? Wow. It's clear as day. (laughs) Like, uh, but I think there was a fair point to when it's tough because the way his arms are, yes, they should probably be behind his back, but they're also so close to his body. I'm thinking like if I put my hands on my face, cause they were pretty close to, was it Nakamba? Yeah. Yeah. Like if I put my hands on my face and I block a shot and it hits my hand, is that really a handball? Like, I mean, if, if it's making your body bigger, yeah. if it was in front, if it was in front of his face, yeah, there's the argument as well, though, Danny, that that ball was probably going to be absolutely skied over the net. And we obviously don't know the exact trajectory, but it did look like it wasn't going to go in. No, that wasn't going in. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I think they're just clinching at straws. But anyways, Danny, let's wrap this up here. Do you want to give any of your last thoughts? Yeah, up the villa, man. We're going to Wembley. This is just amazing. It's good to see. It's good to see. Good to hear. And honestly, I've, I've had goosebumps um since last night and I, I, i'm i just think it's just good to to feel good again it's it's great to see two last minute winners from villa we're starting to drop that whole attitude of being chokers aren't we when we're, we're no longer doing that we're, we're improving week on week transfer windows closing in a couple of days are we going to sign anybody i don't know but it's gonna be exciting as it is i think we've got the squad to we've got the squad to stay up 
Well, we'll leave it at that because that's what I believe as well. But anyways, this has been another Holt cast. We're only going to make this about half an hour, but Danny, we've been rambling for an hour. Like, I don't. Yeah, I'm we, sorry, man. No, no, it's all good because when we're having conversations like this, I love it. But anyways, like I said before, we'll wrap it up there. Thank you for listening to another edition of the 7500 to Holt Holt cast. I said it right this time. Of course, you can find us and listen to us on the website at www. I said it four times, but anyways, you know what I mean. 7500toholt.com. Find us and them on Twitter at 7500toholt. You can find Danny on Twitter at Razajourno. You can find me, Cole Penham, on Twitter at TalkAstonVilla. And of course, we all make up the 7500toholt Holtcast. Don't forget, guys, we're going to Wembley and, of course, up the villa. <laughs> <laughs>